Let me pray, and we're going to dive into a word, specific word, that God put on my heart. Uh, we're not in a series right now. It's just a word that has been just hitting my heart, and I'm very excited to deliver it today. But Father, thank you so much for all that's taking place, the testimonies, the worship, just a testimony from our missionary friend, all the things that you are wanting to speak to your children today. Thank you, God, for the confirmation of what's been happening in the room already this morning. But now as we open up your word, truth that we can stand on, we pray, Father, that you would give an individual word to every single one of us. Lead us in this time. Bless us now in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was about 15 years old, I had gotten saved. And three months after I got saved, I was on staff at this mega church that I had gotten saved at. And I started working in the maintenance department as a high school kid. So I mainly worked on the weekends and a few nights. And the majority of my work was getting ready for the church services. 4,000 people to come in and through a 1,400-seat sanctuary. And this group of eight teenagers did all the work to clean the bathrooms and to turn the building around. And in the summertime, when I was out of school, we had a greater opportunity to work full-time because the private Christian school, there's about 27 classrooms, uh, they were all gone for the summer. So we were stripping the floors, re-waxing, shampooing, putting in new carpet, painting all the walls. So I got to work full-time. But I was 15, 16, didn't have my license yet. So mommy still had to come and drop me off at work and pick me up afterwards. And one day when she picked me up, we're going home. It's been a long day. And in California, there's a lot of hills. And we were going up one big hill on a main street in our city. And out of nowhere, I feel a boom. You could hear a boom, but you can also feel a boom. I felt a boom that day. And I don't know what happened. I thought we had maybe had gotten hit or something. And my mom just screams out, doesn't say what happened. And so I'm sitting there like, what, what, what happened? And I see my mom do the quickest and fastest U-turn of my life. And as we come around in that intersection, I see exactly what my mom had shouted about. There was a Buick sedan flying through the air. What had happened is that a little 76-year-old lady lost control of her car. She swerved and hit the base of a streetlight. It launched her car in the air, rolled several times, and stopped on the roof. The car was upside down. And we pull over. My mom throws her cell phone at me and says, call 911. And there she goes, my little five foot two Mexican mama in her yellow sunflower dress running down this hill to the scene of the accident. And when she gets there, there's already four really big dudes that are on the side, you know, praise God for people who pull over and want to help. But these guys weren't helping. And the reason they weren't helping is that the car was upside down, the engine was still on, and gas was pouring from where you put the, the gasoline in. And they were afraid of an explosion. So they were standing, you know, roughly 20 feet away from the car. And they're like, we want to help this poor little lady. But oh, my Lord, my little mama busts through those guys, grabs the door, rips it open, crawls on her back in shattered glass, cuts the seatbelt in which she was held by, supported her neck and walked her all the way out to the curb and waited for the paramedics. <laughs> and this is my mom. She was a volunteer firefighter. She just retired from the Orange County Sheriff Department. My mom has had so many side-of-the-road emergency stories, and she never spared any of the gory details for us kids either. 
just fascinating stories. And just one of them, you know? And me as a 15-year-old watching my mom in action, I'm sitting there like, that's my mama, that's my mama. You dudes are some punks, but that's my mama, you know? I'm just proud of her. But the reason my mom can do what she did is because she's been trained. And my mom has this passion for being in the middle of trauma. My mom has this peace. She has this calm about her that when everything is falling apart, she can keep everybody on focus and do what's needed. Keep things prioritized, get them done, save some lives, then you can freak out later. But the reason she had confidence in the middle of that crazy accident was because she was prepared. She was trained. She had confidence in her ability. And today, I want to talk about that in the title of the sermon called Confidence in the Chaos. Confidence in the Chaos. Now, there's a difference between confidence and courage. Courage is as, here's an example. If I'm walking by a swimming pool and I see a little kid who is struggling to stay above the surface of the water, even though I'm fully dressed, even though I've had major reconstructive surgery in my ears and if water gets in there, it will be painful for weeks, even though I'm not the greatest swimmer in the world, if I see a little kid struggling to stay above the water, I'm jumping in. That's courage. I don't care about me. I don't care what happens. My life is not important because what's most important is saving another life. That's courage. But confidence is that muscle-bound lifeguard who's been trained, who can dive into the water, who can pull a kid out, who's CPR trained, and they do this on a daily basis. That is confidence where they have a training. And I think we need both in the kingdom of God. We need to be a steady, confident group of believers. And we also need courage from the moments when we need to share the gospel and witness to other people. We need both of them. But today, I really want to focus on the fact that we need confidence now more than ever. And all that's going on in our world, we need a steady group of believers who say, don't worry about what's going on around because God has a bigger plan. I'm living proof of it. Let me tell you about my God. Everybody's freaking out. I mean, so many of us are still trying to recover from 2020 and fail to realize that in four more months, it's 2022. Where is this going? When is this pandemic going to end? When are we going to start seeing things going back to normal? And I know that people are saying there's not going to be a normal. Things will never go back to normal. Well, I'm just going to trust in God's plan first and foremost. And I don't care what the numbers say or the statistics say or what the news says. We should just call it bad news because that's all that's on there. And fear, I'm not going to listen to those voices. I will stand upon truth. And the words that come from my heart are going to be words of confidence. And the greatest example of this is in the most famous story outside of Jesus, in the story of David and Goliath. If you have your Bibles, go with me to 1 Samuel chapter 17. I'm not going to read the entire story. It's a very long chapter, but I'm pretty confident that the majority of the people in this room have read the story of David and Goliath. And I, there's a lot that I can focus on in this story, but I'm going to focus on verses 41 to about 51, just 10 quick verses. And I want us to focus on the confidence that David had in the middle of a war and the confidence to ensure a victory that turned that community and that country all the way around. Again, that's 1 Samuel chapter 17. We're going to begin in verse 41. Then the Philistine came and approached David with a shield bearer in front of him. 
When the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth and ruddy and handsome in appearance. The pretty boy was running to the giant, basically. In 43, the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine also said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the sky and beasts of the field. And David said to the Philistine, You come to me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have taunted. This day, the Lord will deliver you up into my hands, and I will strike you down and remove your head from you. And I will give the dead bodies, not just your body, the dead bodies of the army of the Philistines this day to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts of the earth, all that the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. David speaking like Muhammad Ali right now. I'm going to float like a butterfly, sting like a bee. I got God on my side and you're going to go down, big boy. 47. And all that this assembly may know that the Lord does not deliver by sword or spear, for the battle is the Lord's. I'm going to say that again because I think a few of us need to hear that. For the battle is the Lord's. There's some battles we don't need to be fighting. There's some battles that are not our responsibility. Some battles we need to watch and see the salvation of the Lord. The battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. When it happened, when the Philistine rose and came and drew near to David, that David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. He wasn't afraid. He wasn't scared. He had confidence in his God. Verse 49. And David put his hand into his bag and took it a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. And the stone sank into his forehead, that's a bad day, so that he fell on his face to the ground. Thus David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone, and he struck the Philistine and killed him. But there was no sword in David's hand. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his own sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. So David, how awesome God is that he would use even the enemy's own weapons against them to ensure the victory. But there's so much confidence, but there's so many amazing things that are happening here in this moment that David had a confidence because David was prepared. Earlier in the scripture, when David steps up and says, I'll take care of this giant for you. They said, who are you? You're just a little shepherd boy. You know what David said? He was just anointed king. And he stood up and said, y'all ain't going to fight this giant. He says, you know, when I used to be a shepherd, like little boy, you still have sheep wool on you right now. You just came from the fields in which you were shepherding. And you said, when I used to be a shepherd, He said, yeah, as of five minutes ago, I was a shepherd. But as of right now, I'm a warrior. He knew his his identity. He knew that he could be confident in his God. And furthermore, he says, a giant? A giant's no problem. I killed a lion and a bear with my own hands. Now, we got a lot of manly men in this church, but I don't think too many of us have ever killed a lion. And if you've ever been to a zoo, you know that that 400-pound kitty is scary. I wouldn't come at something like that with, without a, a gun that's big enough to take down an elephant. 
But David, with his own hands, he had confidence. But David was also trained. He didn't just have brute strength. He was trained. The Bible says that he was a slinger, stone and sling, like a slingshot. Now, in ancient military times, 4,000 years ago, when battles ensued, there was really three types of groups you would be in. You can be in the cavalry, in which you rode horses and chariots, and you came on down and, and, and showed intimidation. They also had the uh, infantry, which was the hand-to-hand combat, those who fought with swords and shields and really wanted to get right into the face of, of the fight. But then you had artillery, and that was the ones that had bows and arrows. That was David, the slinger. Now, this isn't no Dennis the Menace little slingshot in the back pocket. Scholars have done extensive research on how productive and powerful these weapons really were. Now, a smooth stone, just a small little pebble, but in that pouch of that sling, rotations can get up to 300 miles an hour. These slingers were so accurate that within 100 yards, if a bird came across, they can get that bird in mid-flight. You ever see that Arizona Diamondback pitcher like 20 years ago? He was winding up for a pitch, and he threw that baseball at the same time a bird came down. That bird exploded. (laughs) It's just feathers. (laughs) David could do this with a pebble. He could say, ooh, that duck looks real good for dinner tonight, and in mid-flight, get it. More so, because of the rotation, the sheer velocity that was coming out from that pebble they say it's the same impact as a 45 caliber bullet. That's why the stone sank in the giant's forehead. So when I read the story of David and Goliath, I'm not reading a story of the underdog who got lucky one day. I'm reading a story of a confident kid who knew his identity, which was royalty, and used what he was trained with to go after a problem to save a nation. He wasn't the underdog. Goliath was the underdog. This nine-foot or 13-foot-tall giant, who if he wasn't supernaturally a giant, he probably had that, that uh, giantism disease in the pituitary gland or whatever it is that you just keep growing and growing and growing unless you get surgery. And what that does is it weakens all your limbs. You're stumbling. You have blurred vision. Maybe that's why Goliath said, am I a dog, that you come at me with sticks? There was only one stick, but maybe because of blurred vision, he saw multiple Who knows? But I'm saying the bigger they are, the harder they fall. David was an underdog. He had God behind him. He had confidence in his Lord, and he was well-trained. And the result was that we see that his confidence brought courage to his people because they rose up when the uh, enemy started fleeing. Now the army of Israel started fleeing as well. I want you to also notice that David, uh, earlier in in the story, and again, Many of us know the story. But earlier in the story, Saul says, okay, you want to take a shot at this giant? Here, take my armor. And little David is walking around, clink, 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 and it's not working for him. And he had to use what he needed, what he was trained in. And I just want to say, you know, in a prophetic imagery, that the world is going to want to offer you all of its resources. This is how you think. This is how you feel. This is what you should do. Here's how you should react. The world wants to tell you what to think. The the world wants to impose its resources on you. But David refused the king's resources and relied on how God had created him. 
We have to walk in our own identity. And there's a, a few things from David and Goliath, a couple takeaways before I give us some encouragement this morning. But I want us to focus on the fact that David, he didn't rely or boast on his gifts. He boasted on his God. David is like, man, I'm bringing a gun to a knife fight. This is going to be over real quick. He didn't boast about his gifts. He boasted about his God. And I love so much these, these songs, especially like the ones that we sang this morning about how big our God is. Oh, those fire me up so much. There's a song out there today uh, by Torin Wells. He's uh, probably a Grammy Award-winning Christian artist, but he's also a worship pastor or the worship pastor at Lakewood Church with uh, Joel Osteen. And he has a song that he sung all around the world called Famous For. He says, walk me through the waters, lead me through the fire, do what you are famous for. Shut the mouths of lions, bring dry bones to life, and do what you are famous for. And all throughout the scriptures, we see story after story after story of God doing the impossible. And we need to be boasting about that God where all things are possible, that God in which nothing is too difficult for him. The other thing is to, to notice that your action in confidence can inspire the revival of hearts in the people who are desperate for God. Earlier in, in 1 Samuel chapter 14, Jonathan did the same act of courage and faced the same battle and climbed hand and foot and in a span of about an acre, killed 20 people. And it says that when the Israelites saw that the enemy was running, courage came up in their hearts. And not only did Israelites start chasing after the Philistines, but those Israelites who left Israel and went to be with the Philistines traded against their own people. If we can't beat them, let's join them. Those cowards who left God's army and went to the enemy's army, when they saw the bravery, when they saw the confidence in Jonathan, courage rose up. And that's what happens. We're not just going through our circumstances and getting our victory for our benefit, but our lives are a testimony and a declaration of the power and the goodness of God. And I love how it says in the scripture that David brought five stones. David only needed one. You know, he could pull the trigger and he can hit him right between the eyes. He just needed one. But see, Goliath had four brothers. <laughs> so there was five stones. And it's so funny that in the scripture, Goliath's four brothers, the other four giants were all killed and they were all killed by David's mighty men. So if you want to kill some giants in your life, you may want to hang out with a couple giant killers. Let that rub off on you and understand to walk in identity and to walk in community that are going after the same thing. So in your bulletins, there's a couple of fill-ins, uh, some bits of encouragement I want to share with us this morning. If you're taking notes, write this down. Point number one, confidence is based on what you collect. Confidence is based on what you collect, which you harbor and store up in your heart. Now, everything that's going on in Afghanistan, we're getting these uh, reminders of what it was like in 9-11 and the terrorism. I remember that a friend of mine, he was one of the very first troops deployed after 9-11 to Afghanistan and Iraq. His wife was pregnant. He was recently married. And now he's flying across the world, never had been, and don't know what's going to happen. All we know is the Twin Towers fell down. And I remember having a conversation with him several years after that. 
I said, you must have been so scared. You must have been so worried that your pregnant wife is at home and you're going into who knows. I mean, the stories that he shared with me, riding a military motorcycle with the sound of bullets ricocheting off of the metal. I said, you must have been so scared. He goes, no, no, brother, no. He says, when you're in boot camp, when you're getting ready to go to war, oh my Lord, your leaders, they pump you up. They make you egotistical. They make you feel like you are indestructible and that this is going to be the easiest thing in the world. And you go in so hyped up into war that there's no room for fear. And how much more as the believer that we need that level of confidence in our God. The level of our confidence is dependent upon what we can collect in our hearts. We have to store it up. In Matthew 17, 21, I've shared this before, that the disciples could not cast out a demon. Jesus comes over, takes care of business. The disciples say, how could you do that? We couldn't. And Jesus said, this kind only comes out with prayer and fasting. And many groups have created deliverance ministries and created teachings that say we need to try harder and press in more and fast for 40 days before we can make big things happen. But I don't believe that's what Jesus was saying. Jesus himself only fasted one time in the scriptures, and he fasted into a place of glory and intimacy with the Father. And I'm not saying that you only need to fast one time. I fast every day between the hours of 10 p.m. and 6 a.m. I fast every day, and then I break my fast with some yummy food, all right? I'm not telling you not to fast, but what I'm saying is that Jesus was telling his disciples, you were not confident. You let this demon intimidate you. Through prayer and fasting, you should have had hearts that were confident and collected in your God. And that's how you should have approached this. You should have came to this fight prepared, but you showed up to this fight unprepared. And I'm saying that for us, we need to collect in our hearts things that convince us of how good God is. I mentioned it earlier, but the apostle Paul, he said, for I am convinced, for I am convinced so many times in the Bible that neither life nor death or angels or demons could ever separate me from the love of my God. He was convinced, and he said it over and over and over again, and I want to be so convinced of how powerful my God is. I don't ever want to be intimidated by any circumstance, no matter how big or small, especially when I read scriptures of how powerful my God is. In John chapter 18, verse 5 through 6, Judas is betraying Jesus. Soldiers, by the dozens come marching into the garden and they come up to Jesus. Judas kisses him, betrays him. And the soldier came up to Jesus and said, are you Jesus the Nazarene? And Jesus says, capital I, capital A, capital M, I am. We see that in Exodus where Moses says, um, okay, you want me to save two and a half million slaves um, and I'm going to say that some God sent me to get them. Uh, do you got a name, Mr. God? Do you have a name? And he says, write this down. I am that I am. The eternal one, the one who can do it all. And so Jesus in this capitalization says, I am. And the Bible says in that moment when the soldiers heard I am, they fell back as if slain. The name of Jesus, the name of God carries so much power. It makes the demon shudder just by the name of, of Jesus. It reminds me of the Lion King. I'm sure we've all seen it, you know. Mufasa. Ooh. <laughs> Do it again. 
Mufasa, Mufasa. They shudder at the name of Jesus. But then I see even in, in Jesus taking on the sin of the world in Matthew chapter 27, verse 52, Jesus is dying. It says it is finished. He cries out with a loud cry. Even the Roman soldiers look and say, man, surely that was the son of God. The Bible says in the way he died, people could tell that wasn't an ordinary human. But it says in 52, verse 52, that when he gave up his last breath, and he ascended that, that the graves of those who had been dead began to raise up. The sheer power of Jesus' death brought people to be resurrected from the grave. I'm not sure we fully understand how big our God is. I don't know if we fully understand that it doesn't matter how many bad circumstances are surrounding me, we always win. My God is always bigger, and I want to keep my focus on him and say, I'm not going to get off of your face, God, because I know you have a word for me. I know you have some direction. I know you want to fill me up with the boldness that only comes from you supernaturally, but we have to convince ourselves of this. You have to make history with God and gather in your hearts testimony, truth, stories, memories, victories, breakthroughs. My God, if he's done it, then he will do it again. Collect in our heart. We need to be stronger in our heart, stronger in our mind. We hold the answer. You and I may be the only Bible somebody reads. You and I may be the only testimony that a church actually loves people and doesn't want to judge them. We may be the only example to show the world that God still does power and miracles and wonders today but we are in charge of collecting in our own hearts. And the second thing, not only do we need to collect to have great confidence, but confidence, number two, is based on what you expect. Confidence is based on what you expect, what you're anticipating, what you're looking to, saying, my God is going to win. What are you expecting out of this circumstance? There's a story of a man who was walking by a little league game. And he was just curious, and so he walks up to the little boy who's warming up and, you know, taking practice swings and getting ready to go up to bat. And he says, hey, little man, he's, what's the score? He goes, oh, we're losing 18 to nothing. And the, the man, he looks at this kid and says, oh, well, I'm sorry. You must be really discouraged. And the little kid has a smirk, and he goes, discouraged? I haven't even gone up to bat yet. <laughs> he was expecting Grand slam after grand slam after grand slam. And what are you expecting? Because not only does confidence is based and determined by what we collect, but confidence is maintained by what we expect. Because we're frail people. We can have one bad day and it just throws up, God doesn't love me anymore. <laughs> you get a prophetic word and it doesn't come to pass four days later, I'm hopeless. No, you're impatient. <laughs> Let it marinate a little bit more, okay? <laughs> what are you expecting? And here's the thing. Faith doesn't deny that a problem exists. Problems are just facts. They're in this world. Doctor gives you a diagnosis. That's a fact. But there's truth. So faith doesn't deny that the problem exists. Faith simply rejects its influence. I have faith, and I'm not going to let these circumstances influence me to live in fear or to have a fear of man or to believe that things are hopeless or, or to not believe that a mighty revival will come and can turn this thing all the way around. No, I'm going to expect bigger and greater things. We have to put our confidence in the right thing. There's so many different ways we can have confidence. You can have self-confidence. 
all about you and building yourself up and being the greatest me that I can be and self-care days and all that good stuff. Some of that stuff is really good. You can have overconfidence. Whoo, I've met some overconfident people in my life. You can be overconfident. You can have confidence in people that the next president is going to be my savior, that my city leadership, and that if we just change the laws and, and we put so much faith in people and not in our God, but what you all know is obvious is that we need to have God confidence. We need to be convinced. We need to be solid in our heart of who our God really is. And I'll close with the, these two uh, comparisons. Um, there was a stuntman who was super, super famous in the early 1900s. One of his biggest feats was that he got into a metal barrel and went over the falls at Niagara Falls. <laughs> and he got a couple bumps and bruises, but he survived and talk of the town. Well, later on, a few years later, he's walking down the streets of New Zealand, slips on an orange peel, breaks his leg, and ends up dying from the complications of that broken leg. How do you survive falling over Niagara Falls, but you die slipping on an orange peel? Well, how many believers have the God of all the universe in their hearts and stumble and fall over the smallest bits of pride, doubt, fear, and insecurities? We've got to change the narrative of what's going on in our heart. I challenge you. I had a counselor tell me that she says, okay, I need you to not make big decisions when you're hungry, when you're tired, when you're alone, <laughs> or when you're feeling hopeless. Don't make decisions. But you're, you're doing this too much. This won't stop. This needs to stop. And you're always going to have these thoughts that the enemy puts in your face. What about? And what about? And this could happen. And just start daydreaming about all the catastrophes. Ah, And you have these movies going on in your mind about what the enemy can do. And this counselor, uh, a Christian counselor, she told me, put your thoughts on trial. I said, ooh, that's good. Put your thoughts on trial. If you get a bad thought, do you really feel hopeless or do you just need a nap? Do you really feel hopeless or do you need a snack? <laughs> like, which is it? Put your thoughts on trial. Why am I thinking that way? Why do I feel hopeless? Why am I so afraid? And you get to a place where your heart is open to where God can actually speak a truth and a revelation and get you healed. Put your thoughts on trial. I have to do this for myself as, as a uh, minister for 20 years. Let me just say, I haven't always had the greatest um, salary ever. Most pastors don't, unfortunately. Not the greatest salary in the world. And there's been so many times where I've had to trust and rely on God to even pay the bills. You know my story. Sitting in a motel with $20, how are we going to do this? And miracle money comes in somehow, some way. God always makes a way. And it's happened so many times. God's breakthrough has happened so many times that now I get to the point where I'm like, ooh, this week looks a little hairy. Um, okay. And this is my declaration. I actually say this, whether it's with money, whether it's a, a sickness, whatever. I say, God, don't know how you're going to do it, but I know you're going to do it. Thank you for doing it. And it, I, I'm telling you, it happens time after time, after time, after time. Our job is not to focus on man, to focus on the problems of this world. We want to know enough to intercede. But our job is not to keep a focus on the calamity and the chaos. We are to remain confident in the steadfastness and the faithfulness of our God. So, Father, I thank you so much for your goodness. I thank you that, God, we need your confidence. We need a reminder of your goodness. We need to sing and sing and sing of your faithfulness over and over again, so much more now than ever before. 
It's a dying and a hurting world that desperately needs the blood of Jesus. Thank you that you have chosen us and have so called us for such a time as this, God, to be your mouthpiece, to be an extension of your hand, to be an expression of your love. Thank you, God, that you want to use me, you want to use my friends here, you want to use this church to be an expression of your love and power. That a world right now, oh, there's so many, whether they're facing a hurricane, whether they have loved ones in Afghanistan, whether they feel like this world is, is going evil, so many people, God, need truth. They need refreshment. They need encouragement. They need to look back to your face. So let it start with us, God. Tomorrow is Monday morning. Let us not get to the point where we're just focused on our problems, focused on another day, focused on clocking in, going to school. Help us to wake up and say, God, I don't know how you're going to do it, but I know you're going to do it. To say, my eyes will stay fixed on your face. May your presence go before us. So, Father, for my friends here, thank you for the protection that's upon their lives. Thank you, God, for the healing that you're doing in the works of their marriages, in their lives, and in their bodies. And thank you that as we go out today, that this Sunday here at Southgate Fellowship has been a testimony to the joy of the Lord that we can have in all circumstances. It's supernatural. And we thank you that you are our Father and that we are your children, and we can walk in the confidence of knowing no weapon formed against me will prosper, and my God and all of heaven is behind me. So bless my friends here, and go before us now, in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. 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 God bless you all. Have a wonderful week.